Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. If you listen carefully, you may hear some tapping sounds once in a while. That's my geese right outside the window. I think they just discovered I'm in here and they're curious. And so <laughs> you may hear some tapping. That's my geese tapping on the window. Anyway, <laughs> we have a couple of experiences to share today off enderf.org. Uh, the first is by Nellie. And she says, I had preeclampsia before a cesarean section, and 24 hours after delivery, I had an eclamptic convulsion that was so severe my heart stopped. All I remember of the seizure was feeling cold. It was as though a blanket of snow had been unrolled over me, beginning at my toes. When it hit my chest, my spirit floated up and out of my body. I could see the ceiling tiles coming closer, and I heard someone shouting out in the hallway of the room. I looked down and saw my body lying on the bed. I knew it was dead. I experienced a moment of regret, because it was a good body and I had been fond of it, but it was no more than the regret a person might feel at seeing a beautiful purebred dog lying dead beside the highway. Two nurses and a doctor rushed in and began CPR, and I remember thinking, why waste all that time and effort? I was done, and I was ready to move on. I turned my attention upward again, and I floated through the ceiling and the plenum and into the, ac- into the attic. I saw the roof trusses, air ducts, conduits, insulation, etc. in extreme detail. But when I passed through the roof and should have been outside, I was instead in a darkness so deep and dense it was almost physically palpable. A straight beam of light that originated way above me pierced this darkness and slightly to the left. This would have been to the west-southwest at about 80 degrees elevation. It was blue-white and extremely bright, but very beautiful, and not at all unpleasant to look at. Then I accelerated suddenly, and it felt like I was falling up toward the light. In perhaps a count of three, I was at the light, and then I was stopped at a barrier. I looked at the light, and I experienced an overwhelming flood of peace, joy, and unconditional love. I knew that God was behind that light, and there with him was everything we could imagine, beautiful, good, just, merciful, and righteous, in a far greater measure than the human mind can conceive. Even after so many years, I do not have the words to describe this adequately. I wanted nothing more than to step over that barrier and go through the light to where God was. I said, oh yes, please. But it was not to be. A man's voice came from nowhere and said, go back, it isn't time. The words were burned into my memory, and so was the voice itself. 
its pace, pitch, timbre, and pronunciation. It is the voice of my then-day-old son, now as a grown man. In retrospect, this does not surprise me. God has to communicate with us in ways we, with our limited understanding, can comprehend. Before I had a chance to be disappointed, my consciousness winked out. I woke up that very or that evening back in my body, sick, hurting, and feeling powerless before the mountain of difficulties I faced if I were ever to get my life back in order. That is the end of Nellie's experience. Okay, and we will discuss it, but let's go on to Dot. Okay, I like this experience, and we'll talk about why afterward, but uh, Dot says... In 1969, I was in a head-on collision and suffered broken bones and a head trauma. A lady in white, like an angel, was with me a lot until I regained consciousness. In 1987, that would be, let's see, almost 20 years later, so 18 years later, during the birth of my son by a student doctor, my heart rate dropped to 46 I then went into a tunnel, like the universe. There are dark shadows, and it smells like sin, evil, and awfulness. A light is in the distance. I'm getting closer. Oh, good. Soon I will be safely out of this stench, I say to myself. Then, I'm in front of a table. A higher power is there in front of me. I am a light entity. Around me are more light entities. There are also dark entities around me. I don't like them. A higher power is showing us a mission to do. We are looking in the table. It's earth in there. The higher power shows us two ways to accomplish our mission, one of which he prefers us to do, the other one he isn't crazy about, but it seems that the main thing he is interested in is whether we will do it the way he asks, yes or no. We have free choice. No one is looking at him, nor at the other spirits near him. They're different than us, white and dark ones. Maybe they're what people refer to as angels. They aren't human spirits, though, because we're all either white or dark. The white ones don't like the dark ones. Why is he giving them the chance to be with us on earth too? Oh yes, I will do as you wish, I say. He sends two of the entities on his right with me. So many of the entities near me are, are telling me, I will meet you here and there. Some even say they will be my children in this life. So many spirits with me. We all love one another. Now I meet people and I realize the reason I feel so comfortable with them is that I knew them over there. He shows who we will be born to, inherit, inherited diseases, even our death. I can't remember why and what I'm supposed to be doing, though. That is the end of Dot's experience. Okay, let's go back to Nellie's first and talk about this. And so, um, she 
dies in childbirth or in, in you know as her child is being born and uh she has this cold sensation like like snow being piled up on her starting with her toes and then once it reaches her chest her spirit just floats up out of her body and uh and it's interesting because she says she looks at her body as she's floating over it and she has this moment of regret you know and and you picture being in mortal life and thinking the way we do that you would uh, look at this body of yours and say oh no I don't want to die yet I, I have so much to accomplish I have you know and and that you would have this this you know sense of I can't die you know maybe even desperation or something but that's not what she's feeling She's feeling the, just the sadness for a good body that she has, and she's liked her body. And she says, It was no more than the regret a person would feel at seeing a beautiful purebred dog lying dead beside the highway. So finding some, some roadkill and realizing, Oh, that's like a purebred German shepherd. That's a good dog, probably worth hundreds of dollars. Poor thing, you know? And... Uh, and that's about as much as she feels for it. Which is interesting. And she says, but it was... Uh, okay, but then she says... Uh, she sees the nurses come running in, start CPR, and she's like, why are you wasting all that time and effort? I'm done. I'm moving on. There's something about leaving the body that while we are still the same individual, thinking the same thoughts, there are some perspectives that we have that... I don't want to say they blindside us, because they don't. They, they're they actually very much more comfortable. But instead of thinking like, oh yeah, get, you got to save this body. You got to save it. She's like, why are you wasting all that effort? I'm done. I'm moving on. As if the doctors are supposed to somehow know that life moves on to the other side. I mean, if you were to just randomly think of whether your own doctor or a random nurse at the hospital, does that random nurse, do you ha suspect that that random nurse has sufficient spiritual knowledge to be able to say, oh, well, it's this person's time to move on. Okay, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. Of course not. Of course, that's not even how we think here. And yet, that is how many people when they are floating over their body, think, it's like, what are you doing? Why bother? Some people even try to fight the CPR. They kind of go and reach for the hands and say, hey, stop that. You're, you're just, uh, this is, you know, it's, it's almost like they're kicking and punching at a dead body or something. I mean, you would, you'd want to stop someone from doing that, even though you know the person is not being hurt by it. It's like, what are you doing? Just stop that. That's, that's troubling, you know, and so forth. Anyway, that seems to be kind of what, uh, what the person, what people sometimes think of as they see their body being worked on. And sometimes just the, the anxiety and fear in the room and, the, and the, you know, the rushing about is a little bit agitating to people. And so they will leave if they feel it's uncomfortable in there. So if you are in the room with a dying person and you know it's their time to go, don't overreact. If you want to communicate with them, be calm and say, it's okay. They're probably still here. And you can tell them, I love you. I wish I, you could be here with us, but it's okay to move on. And they're more likely to hear you if there's not a bunch of turmoil in the room. 
Anyway, so this person is kind of like, you know, why are you wasting your time on that body? You know, I'm done. I'm ready to move on. And so immediately after that, probably in this like, it's kind of agitating down here. I turned my attention upward again and I floated through the ceiling and in the plenum, I'm not sure what a plenum is, or plenum, plenum, and into the attic, I saw the roof trusses, air ducts, conduits, insulation, etc., in extreme detail. So she's passing through, and you would think, well, wouldn't it be dark? Well, yes, it would, but it seems that spirits who have left their body, sometimes people would be sleeping at night in a completely dark room, but as they leave their body, the lighting feels more like twilight. It feels, it's darker. It certainly doesn't feel like midday or anything, but it's, but it's dim, but they can see just fine. And that reflects what seems to be the case. Um, you know, when people talk about colors that you just can't even imagine on this earth and, and being able to detect things and sense things that, that they couldn't sense in their body, often uh, it seems that they are seeing a greater measure of the light spectrum. And if that's the case, it's very likely they can see in infrared and probably a little beyond that and maybe, you know, um, ultraviolet as well and, and so forth. And if that's the case, then, you know, even in a dark room, they're going to see more. So in these dark ducts, they're going to be able to see. They'll be able to see the details. And in the uh, conduits and insulation and so forth, they'll be able to see it as they pass through it. That's my speculation on that issue of why you can, why they're seeing such detail, even when it should have been dark. And that seems to be the case always. Uh, the only darkness that a spirit seems to experience while leaving their body is if they go into the void. And when they do, it's not like the darkness of night where it's like you can only see glimmers or, or you know, distant cloud cover um, in a dark sky. It's more like, you know, you've stuck your head in oil and open your eyes and that's what you see. It's almost how it sounds. I mean, black, black, black. It is so black that uh, it's almost palpable. And I think part of that may also be, you know, a lot of what we see when we close our eyes or if say you were at night and suddenly the power goes out, you're in your basement and it plunges into absolute darkness. You don't go seeing absolute darkness. What you go seeing is the swooshes of, of nerves and so forth in your eyes and your brain, uh, whatever that is that it's perceiving when it sees, you know, color washes and so forth that aren't like color, color, but it's like, out of focus, uh, undulating, slight color-like stuff. You know, it's the same thing. Just cover your eyes right now and that's, you know, describe what you're seeing. That's what we see. And we're so used to that just to an extent in this life that if that weren't there, and I don't know, maybe spirits do see that, but my suspicion is that they probably don't. That that's some kind of, you know, brain neural ending um, kind of reflection of what we're seeing. You know, it's a, it's a brain thing, you know, it's, it is my suspicion. And my guess is that spirits don't see that. So plunged into absolute darkness, minus all that, yeah, they're going to see 
blackness, thick, inky, or as some people describe it, velvety blackness. Just a pure, beautiful blackness, which we really aren't capable of perceiving here. That's my guess. And then she finds herself... Um, okay, she goes through a tunnel, is that right? Or was that the other one? Let's see. Um, she goes through... Oh, she's in this darkness, physically, almost physically palpable darkness. And then she sees a straight beam of light that in a matter of about three seconds, she's in the light. And she says it was blue-white and extremely bright, but very beautiful and not unpleasant at all. And then she accelerates suddenly and feel like she's falling up toward the light. That's an interesting metaphor, that she's falling upward toward the light. And then she says, in the count of about three, that's where the count of three was, sorry, it wasn't before, but in the count of three, she was at the light, I assume the source of the light, and stopped at a barrier. It looked, let's see, I looked at the light, and I experienced an overwhelming flood of peace, joy, and unconditional love. I'm not sure what she means by a barrier. Is this some kind of psychological mental barrier? Is it... You know, a force field is like, you know, some kind of Star Trek-y kind of force field. I don't know. She doesn't describe it. And it could be that it's just that she gets to this point and realizes she can't cross beyond this point. That it's clearly a barrier. And maybe it's just her senses that are recognizing. I don't know. But uh, she does see beyond it just fine. Or I should say that she senses beyond it whether by sight or otherwise, I'm not sure, but she says, I knew that God was behind that light, and there with him was everything we could imagine, beautiful, good, just, merciful, and righteous, in a far greater measure than the human mind can conceive. So it's like, everything you've ever wanted, and everything you could ever imagine that would bring you joy, is beyond this barrier. Oh, but, you can't go now. <laughs> nah, and, but anyway, she she's like having this sense of like, oh, yes, I'm ready to move on. But she says it was not to be. And this is interesting. She says, a man's voice came from nowhere and said, go back. It isn't time. And the voice is so, it, it sticks with her so much that throughout the rest of her life, Everything about this voice is embedded into her mind. Its pace, its pitch, its timbre, its pronunciation. The voice is so embedded into her mind that she finally, when she hears it again, she recognizes it. And it is the voice of the son that she just gave birth to when he is a grown man. And of course, she doesn't know that until he grows up and she recognizes his voice. <laughs> that is so cool. You know, there are times when people hear the voice of God there in, in these experiences. There are times when they hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And there are many times when they hear a voice that they don't recognize. But they also hear the voices of grandparents, of parents, of cousins, of aunts, uncles, loved ones, of children that it makes me think that more often than not, I mean, either you're hearing the voice of God or you're hearing the voice of Jesus Christ or 
you're hearing the voice of a loved one. Perhaps one that you've forgotten or haven't met yet, for that matter. But it is a loved one and someone who is deeply meaningful to you. So that's just cool. And it makes me wonder, how often when we hear a whispering in our heart, is it the voice of God or the voice of Christ? You could add to that the voice of the Holy Ghost. I think that's fair because that is probably often how we hear any of the other voices. It's probably through that power of the Holy Ghost that we hear any of those voices. So, anyway, basically you're either hearing God or you're hearing a loved one. Seems to be the consensus. Because even when people say, I don't know who this was, but it was this glorious divine being, and then later they see pictures and they're like, oh, it was my grandpa. Or else they, you know, later say, oh, it turned out to be my son who grew up, and so forth. And a lot of times they talk about a female spirit. And some people go on to believe in, the, you know, this divine feminine God and so forth, which I'm not denying that, you know, there are feminine gods. I think there probably are in there, in all of this, um, certainly. It's certainly divine uh, beings, but could also be your grandma. <laughs> it could be your daughter. And that shows an interesting thing, too. You don't have to assume that just because this was a divine being, that it was God. But also, you don't have to assume that because it was your grandfather, that it wasn't a divine being. I know that may sound blasphemous to some, but people are experiencing divine, glorious, unconditional love from loved ones on the other side, which reflects this concept that we are glorious, spiritual, divine beings. And of course, God is greater and, and much greater and more powerful than any of us. But when you look at the comparison, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like, you know, we're pebbles, okay? And while we're thinking, you know, God is this grand uh, boulder, or even, you know, the really bold ones are saying, God is this mountain, and we're kind of looking at it this way, when as it turns out, while we're seeing each other now as pebbles, we are actually, when we get to the other side, planets. We are entire planets. And God is a sun, is a star in comparison. And I mean, it's like what we're seeing here and what we're comparing what we think we are and what God is, is so much less than what they really are and what we really are. And I think that's just cool. I hope that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about Dot's experience because she talks about in her, she has two near-death experiences. One, um, a car accident where she sees this lady in white who's like an angel that's with her until she regains consciousness. That's all she says about that one. Then she has this near-death experience in 1987, 18 years later, um, and dies while giving birth. And um, she finds herself in this horrible, dark, shadowy, smelly, stinky, evil, awful place. And she's just, and, and there's this light in the distance, and she's getting closer to it. She's like, oh good, I'm going to be safely out of this stench. 
And then she finds herself in this place where she's in front of a table and there's a higher power in front of her and she's a light entity. I, I don't know if that means she's not in a physical body shape, but it sounds that way, that she's not in a physical body shape, which makes me think that she's in the uh, spirit intelligence form. And, uh, or I mean, sorry, the uh, conscious intelligence form. And because uh, and, she says we are more like light entities. And she says there are also dark entities around me. I don't like them. Now it's possible too, when she, she says light entity, that she means she's in a body form that is composed of light. That would be the spirit body form. Anyway, um, but there are, because there are also dark entities around her. And I'm not sure what that looks like, you know. Are they like a, a kind of a black hole in the light where you're looking? Or what, what does that look like? And she's kind of wondering, why are they here? Why are those dark entities here? But anyway, this higher power is showing them a mission. And I'm left to wonder, was she brought back so she be, could be given this mission to go back for? Or is she going back and seeing her previous experience being in the spirit world and being taught what her mission in this life is. I don't know. I'm not sure it matters, and I'm not sure it even makes much of a difference in terms of the content and the purpose and so forth like that. But uh, clearly she is being shown what she needs to come to earth to do. And, and, she says, and, and she's told in this, which is very interesting, and something that I think is worth noting, uh, she says, there's, there's more than one way you can go about doing this. You can do it my way, or you can do it the way I not prefer you to do it. But you do have free choice. No one is, is forcing you. But uh, I would really prefer you do it my way. And uh, when she says, yeah, I want to do it your way. Her exact wording is, oh yes, I will do as you wish. And then she says, he sends two of the entities on his right with me. Some, so many of the entities nearing me are telling me, I will meet you there, and I will meet you here. Some even say that they will be my children in this life. So many spirits with me. We all love one another. This is so cool because in this deciding of our missions and deciding what we will do in this life and in, in receiving what we're coming here to do, we have so much help. Not only do we have, call them what you will, guardian angels, spirit guides or whatever, but we also have people that are saying, I'll be there too. You know, I will be your brother. I will be your sister. I will be your co-worker that's going to help you to be where you need to be at that time. I'm going to be that guy you bump into who have a conversation to help guide you in the right direction. And we'll be there to guide each other, help each other out. We have so much help. And how much is decided before we came? I don't know for sure, but it sounds like a lot. It sounds like we were given an, an entire network, an entire, you know, group to guide us along the path. But like she says, it's our choice and we have agency. We have free choice. So that being the case, if we want to do what's right and we seek the will of God and we strive as best we can to follow 
that will, I think we're going to be okay. And I think we'll be guided where we need to go. I love it. I love it. So if you would like to contact the podcast, either to share a comment, ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience, you can do so by emailing Podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. Our website is neardeathexperiencepodcast.org where you can find the archives to all of the old episodes. We're well over 200 now, so if you haven't heard 200 episodes and you're wanting more, there is more to be heard. And also, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or you can go to patreon.com slash ndecast and become an ongoing monthly contributor. And links to both of those um, things, the book and the uh, Patreon site, are on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening. <laughs>